Welcome to Titans Theater Arts Podcast, where you will find the latest work of our theater students, from radio plays to spoken word, with the occasional guest performance from our band class. For today's podcast, students were asked to do a form of spoken word, performance poetry, or slam. Essentially, they were asked to write poetry and then use their voices to make it come alive. They were asked to tell their own stories, to be honest. This is what they gave me. Our first performance is four minutes and 33 seconds by Sen. In 1951, John Cage paid a visit to an anechoic chamber at Harvard University. Fiberglass wedges and other such materials are placed just so to absorb any sound creating room devoid of any noise. He entered the chamber expecting complete silence. What he heard instead was not silence, but two distinct sounds, a high humming and a low tone to match. That wasn't right. He was promised silence. Perhaps it was impossible to eliminate all outside noise, something imperfect in the box's design. When he described it to the head instructor, he was informed that the room, in fact, was completely silent. The sounds were coming from him. He was told that the high home was from his nervous system, and the low one was his blood running through his body. The knowledge that sound was everywhere delighted him, that his body created music on its own, music that no one ever really noticed. The realization led to the creation of arguably one of his most famous pieces. Four minutes and 33 seconds, a piece with three movements, playable by any instrument or any combination of such. Four minutes and 33 seconds is known for its audacity, its controversy, and for the fact that it's four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. The majesty of the piece comes from the outside noises, the ambient sound created by everything else happening at that moment, the squeaking of chairs, the awkward coughs, the rumbling of speakers, the shifting of silent instruments, the dull hum of fluorescent lights. Because John Cage didn't define music as rigidly organized, rhythmic, sequential pitches thrown onto a sheet of paper. Because John Cage knew that there was no such thing as a silent room. The piece is like a large spoonful of pure, unadulterated sound waves, administered almost as though an anodyne. Frozen harmonics bouncing through an old concert hall people only really paid admission due to watch a rendition of Madame Butterfly. Because who is John Cage anyway? And they wait for the second show to start. And nothing happens. And they begin to think. It seemed, at least from the minds of those in the audience who didn't leave in an uproar, to have been an act of framing of enclosing environmental and unintended sounds in a moment of attention to open the mind to the fact that all sounds are music, even the ones inside you, when you press your wrists to your ears and listen to the rumbling of your bones, the gargling of your stomach, the hum of your nervous system, and the rushing of your blood. As Debussy once said, music is the silence between notes, and I ask that you listen for it. I ask that on some unscheduled Saturday that you may sit yourself at a piano bench and just listen for four minutes and 33 seconds. Just listen and appreciate the uniquely novel lament of a refrigerator motor on a quiet morning. This is The Birds Flee in Silence by Kay. Blown in the wind is a dove hunting for home. 
Swept up in the storm and rained on, she flies, but running only awakens the shadow of trauma, and she is left on a dark abyss. Stripped of her colors and taken advantage of, the dove keeps searching for a place to feel at ease, but is reminded of the day she was torn around every corner she stumbles upon. November 7th, 2017, the day she was ripped from all hope, the day everything fell apart and the pieces were lost. Afraid of being afraid, she tells her story and is forced to hear it repeated back to her in a room full of ravaged wolves. The wolves howl as she is believed to be stretching the cords of truth. She sits there, forlorn, broken, helpless. It's funny how when a soul drips tears it can change a story, but only some believe, and the one who matters still doesn't, as the demon told a different story with the same details. Too close the books read, with only a different ending. The raven said he was not to choose, leaving the demon to roam and infiltrate other birds' lives. And the demon? He sat there smug, believed to be only a small bunny who could hop in fields of gold, when he was really a monster in disguise ripping to shreds more than one soul. Lost are many birds today, and they still have not to speak. She asks for truth from others, but they do not sing. The others don't share, maybe too scared, too quiet, too ashamed. But this one, she sings with her lungs and chirps with her voice. Alone is now the dove. The storm grows larger. The rain pours harder. The thunder gets louder. And the demon smiles. Now, tears of memories by Anonymous. Damp, dank, moist, cheesecake, I whisper in the breeze. As burgers fall from the sky, I wonder why. Why don't you just kill Sunday? Cause after all this time, European hairspray and all, Chinese Winchester is the smallest breed of catnip. Next, we have, what does it mean to be tough? by Abby. What does it mean to be tough? It's a lot of things. Not just to look it, but to be tough inside. It's tough getting through life. We're all tough because we all gotta do it. Everyone lives through their own challenges that they are faced with from time to time. I think toughness is when you're trying to cover something, to cope, covering sensitivity, certain vulnerability. That's toughness. There's also the other half, like being able to open up to someone, to be vulnerable and honest, the ability to be true about your feelings instead of keeping everything all to yourself. We need to ask ourselves, are you comfortable looking inside yourself and saying you're this, this, and this? That could be anything from being tough, vulnerable, or open to changes. You know who you are, where you've been, why you've been there, what you're going to do, and why you're doing it. In the end, everyone merely has their own challenges that they need to face in life. In our own way, we all are tough. One by Layla Ever since I was little, I would look at others and think, why can't I be like them? I used to figure skate and when someone my age would land their axle or their double loop, I would ignore all of my progress and focus on theirs. When I was reading a book and my friend was reading the same one, it became a competition in my head. Who would finish it first? 
And if they did, why can't I read faster? I never thought that I was good enough or smart enough, and that unsatisfied feeling has only grown more. In grade 8, I always wore my hair in a ponytail because I never looked like the other girls. In grade 9, two of my closest friends got into a relationship, and I wondered why that hasn't happened to me yet. In grade 10, my performance on the volleyball team was the lowest it had ever been because I was worried about what the other girls thought of me. Now it's grade 11, and I have to be a certain way in order to be considered a normal teenager or cool. I'm tired of it. Why do I, why do we do this to ourselves? It's exhausting. And yet, I can't stop. Sometimes I imagine myself going somewhere, anywhere, enjoying my life, not someone else's. And the more I think of it, the more I realize nothing wrong with who I am. Everything will happen in time. And in the meantime, I'll just trudge along with an unsatisfied feeling because one day it will become satisfied. Untitled by Danny Hood. I cannot get angry at you for not loving me when the mirror in my room knows that pain all too well. The glass that hangs before me has heard more I hate yous than my two hands could count. And these walls that surround me would weep if they could speak, and I don't blame them. They have seen the worst parts of me, have witnessed pools full of tears the size of lakes and breakdowns that my soul tries its hardest to forget but clings to anyway because intensity is way more comforting than the numbness ever was. I wondered how I questioned your lack of love so deeply, but not once question my own self-hate. Perhaps it's my turn to love myself in every way I wanted you to love me, unconditionally and without hesitation. This is Life is Tough by Anonymous. Life is hard. Life throws all these obstacles at you, expecting you to somehow adapt. But sometimes some obstacles are more difficult than others. Life is hard. Life takes people away from you in many different ways. Friends betray you and break your trust. Family leaves you and breaks your heart. And people get sick. When someone you love gets ill, it takes a toll on you. Stress and anxiety take over and you feel completely helpless. You are left knowing that there is nothing you can do to help. You are left to sit back and watch as someone slowly and painfully passes away. Right in front of you. Life is unfair. In life, you'll make friends. You'll trust those friends. You'll love those friends like family. Then life throws one of those obstacles at you and suddenly they're all gone. Life is unfair. In life, you find out that the friends you thought you had were never really your friends. When you needed them the most, they picked on you, teased you, belittled you, and made you feel worthless. Life is tough. But part of life is being able to adapt. So I found dance. Dance became my refuge. When life just became a little bit too much, I went to dance. When everything in life felt unclear and uncertain, I knew dance would always be there. When I felt like the whole world was turning against me, I was lucky enough to find an environment that made me feel whole, that made me feel strong, where people didn't belittle you, where people didn't leave you being, feeling helpless and unwanted, where people built you up, supported you, and loved you for who you were, flaws and all. Dance has become more than just a hobby. It has become a part of me. It's my creative outlet. It's where I can let out all my emotions with no shame. And when you get to see your own work on stage, it truly feels like you've done something meaningful and important. It feels like you've really made an impact, that you've cre created something memorable for others, a memory that will last longer than you will. And honestly, it makes life worth living. So yeah, life is tough. But if there's one thing I've learned, is that you gotta focus on the little things, the little things that make everything worth it. So dance became my little thing, when life just got a little bit too tough.
This is My Pearl by Shy Tippett. I used to look at the world like it was a pearl you would find in a clam while digging in the beach. Shiny and beautiful, perfectly smooth and irreplaceable. I set my expectations so high and I expected only the great and best from the world. I was told if you were kind to the world, kindness would always be returned to you. But that isn't always how it is. When I was nine, I learned just how unkind the world is. When it took such a beautiful person right from my arms, the person I would run to from nightmares, and the person I would hold so close, hug so tight after school, the person I would ramble to about my day, and the person who taught me to embrace myself, the person who taught me art and inspired me to continue, the person I held so tight, the person I was so scared of losing and yet I never thought would leave me. When I was 10, I learned that people who are supposed to care sometimes don't. The people who are supposed to hug you back and pat you on the head instead can yell and throw things and blame me for their frustration, for their grief. When I was 11, I learned that you have to let the people you love leave and move on with their lives. While you sit back and live yours. While you sit back and just try to survive. Because no matter how hard it is to say goodbye to them, you learned that you never know if you'll see someone again just because you say it. The world doesn't promise it. It's just a gift if you do. When I was 13, I learned that life isn't great. Kids are mean and so can be loved ones. And I was 16 when I realized how little family can care, how meaningless a house, your childhood house full of memories can be, and how it can change from bright and colorful to gray and dark, how the smell of cigarettes fill the air and how pictures are just paper. When I was 17, I learned just how open the door really was. How it didn't feel like I was locked inside, how I wasn't chained to the front yard. When I was 17, I realized how I still am the same person. Changed, but still that little girl who loved the color blue and thought she was a professional singer, a master doodler and an animal whisperer, was still there. When I was 17, hope and opportunity, and that pearl of a world didn't seem so dull and far away anymore. <laughs>
That was Old Kentucky Home, played by Xavier Marican, Jack Schultz, Keenan Brulot, and Angelo Asario. Now, back to our spoken words. This is My World by Kane. I was born in a baby pink world. I grew into my baby pink clothes, into my baby pink room, my baby pink life. Every color all around me was the same shade of pink. I was baby pink, and I accepted it this way. Never questioned it, never questioned the other baby pink girls around me in their baby pink worlds, or the baby blue boys in their baby blue worlds. It didn't matter, till I grew more. I noticed my baby pink hues were fading as my body changed. I felt wrong, deformed, uncomfortable, blue. My baby pink world was crumbling, mixing, changing, changing with me. My baby blue world was so strange and terrifying. My world at home was pink. My world at school was purple. My world by myself was blue. I couldn't see what color I needed to be, so I chose white. Neither color. No colors, actually. I felt I didn't deserve a color, so I lived in a colorless world. I wore what made me unseen. I felt like I had to hide my baby blue shame. But that wasn't fair. Maybe baby blue wasn't such a horrible color to be. And baby pink was cute, too. I didn't want to hide my baby blue anymore. I accepted the baby pink world I was born in, and I loved the white that helped me realize what I was, who I was, who I am, my blue, pink, and white world, the colors of my life, the colors of my world, the colors of our world. Our next piece is Untitled by Jillian Projek. I understand that I have not been the best daughter, but you haven't been the best mother either. I feel like you don't like me. I can remember very few pleasant conversations we've had as most of our conversations are just you yelling at me because you're stressed or you're mad about my forgotten chores. I don't understand why you feel like you could take out your negative emotions on me just because you're mad about some random, inconsequential thing. When I did that, you'd get mad at me for yelling at you and taking my emotions out on you, so I stopped, but you still do the same thing. It feels like you're mad at me for everything. Even when I was in therapy, you were mad at me for being in therapy. You said you felt like I was shit-talking you to the therapist. It felt like you were mad at me because you thought I was sad, because you were always mad at me. Like, you were mad at me because you felt like I was sad because of you. And yet, you continue to act the same way even though you literally said you thought I was depressed because of you. After that, you started trying to hang out with me. It feels and continues to feel like you don't actually like me. You just want to hang out with me because you don't have the relationship you want to have with your daughter. It feels like you're only nice out of obligation, not because you like me. I don't really know how to end this. I guess my overall feelings are, I love you, but you make me unhappy sometimes because I feel like you hate me. Could you please discuss this further? Our next spoken word is called, I met this girl once, by Anonymous. I met this girl once. She was cheerful and joyous, innocent to the world in all of its darkness. I met this girl once. She danced her way through minor inconveniences and believed she belonged in a school of geniuses. I met this girl once. She was strong and smart 
and unconcerned. And then someone came along and her happiness was burned. He looked at her like she was a painting the Louvre or a star shooting across the sky, like she was his world or the apple of his eye. They sang together, they watched movies together. One weekend they even went camping together. They fell asleep side by side on the night of the 25th of December. He held her when she was down and told her everything was all right until his emotions switched like a traffic light. Who was there for her then? Who was there for her when he threatened to ignore her for an entire school day if she didn't send him a picture of her nude body? Or when he yelled and screamed at her just because she teased him? Or when he pouted for days because she said no at the swimming pool? Who was there for her when he pushed his fingers past her objective hands and her pleas for just a hug? Or when he smacked her ass in front of all his friends? Or when he dragged her sleeping body up so he could fuck her from behind? Or when he pulled down his pants and forced her head down to his dick? Or when she said no and he said, baby, you like it? Baby, please. Who was there for her then, huh? Who was going to tell her that he was a disease? Because she wasn't scared then. She didn't hurt then. She didn't realize it was abuse then. She loved him. They broke up a little while later, and it wasn't until then that she realized he had violated her. The girl that I had once met was different now. She cried in the shower now. She related to more stories now. She was broken now. She couldn't quite understand the feelings she had. It wasn't quite angry, but it wasn't really sad. All she knew now was that she, the girl that felt nothing, except spirit in calculation and an unbalanced amount of pride, the girl with such determination to have her name on the high school honor roll, unaffected by all, had been affected. She had been affected by a high school brat, and she hated herself for that. I met this girl once. She was tall and proud and eager for her future. All that occupied her mind was studying brains or learning sutures. I met this girl once. She knew she deserved to be famous or memorable, and she still thinks so. But it's a little different now. She understands that she's vulnerable. I met this girl once. She went through something that should not have happened and pain she could have never imagined. I met this girl once and no matter how much she may have changed, she still dances through minor inconveniences and believes she belongs in a school of geniuses. This girl that I met once, she is scarred now, but it makes her stronger. If anything, this experience helps her stand taller. I met this girl once. She loves herself, no matter how much he did not. Our next performance is called Ignorance by Hannah Rodriguez. When I was young, I was ignorant. My mind was a balloon held down by a rock tied to a string. I hadn't yet realized what the hand up my skirt meant. I hadn't yet realized it wasn't normal for men to ask you where you were headed, or that a little boy harassing you did not mean that he liked you. When I was young, I was ignorant, the string tugging hard at my conscience. Hadn't yet realized that the man asking my mom for a massage did not think that she was a masseuse. 
hadn't yet realized why his eyes were pointed towards her blouse and why she sped away, or that it was not normal for a man to slap a woman when she got upset. When I was young, I was ignorant. I saw the world only as what was right in front of me, holding my attention at that very moment. I had started to tug at the string, testing the limits. I hadn't yet realized that I would not make it as far as another man, simply because I am a woman. I hadn't yet realized that I had a 4 to 5 chance of facing harassment and a 10% chance of getting justice. But when those odds smacked me in the face, I had to choose whether to stay tethered or cut the string. When I was young, I was ignorant. But I am not ignorant anymore. And I spend every waking moment in anger. Anger for the injustices of others, and I will not rest until I no longer feel that hot fire burning in my chest. We now have Raw Beauty by Anonymous. I was never called pretty by anyone but my mother. Not even my father could compliment me. The closest thing I got growing up from him was, you look older or more mature, never pretty or beautiful. In elementary school, I had a bully in sixth grade. When I asked her why she hated me so much, all she replied with was, you're too tall. I never realized that being tall was wrong or frowned upon until she said being tall was something worth hating me for. But she just prepared me for high school. Where if you aren't under 5'6", you aren't worth as much to the boys. You aren't noticed by the boys. It's like somehow the extra four inches makes me somehow more difficult to see. When I went to Quebec, on my first day there was a student and a teacher showing me around. There was a learning disability section we were walking through, and a little girl came up to me. T'es vraiment belle. You're really pretty. I didn't think she was talking to me. No, she couldn't be. She was talking about the girl showing me around. But when I looked at the girl giving me the tour, she was looking at me. When I looked at the little girl, she was looking at me. I felt all the blood drain from my face. I don't know what to say in this situation. I've never been in this situation. All I could say was, Merci. I wish I would have said more. I wish I could have told her she was beautiful too. Because she was. She was more than beautiful. Because when you can make somebody feel the way she made me feel, that's the most raw form of beauty. Our next performance is by Braden McLean and is a sort of stand-up reflection entitled, What is Art? Well, this is going to be pretty informal, pretty uh, pretty funny ha-ha. I'm just going to come up here, I'm going to tell some jokes, I'm going to give some opinions. You might not like all of them, but, but that's okay, because you're entitled to yours. So, uh, I figured I'd start it off a little more lighthearted. I'd talk about my family. My family was on both sides, give you a little background. My, uh, my dad's side of the family, pretty strict, very, uh, very Catholic. Are there any Catholics in here? Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> any Protestants in here? Well, you'll think this is hilarious. <laughs> so, like I said, they were very Catholic. <laughs> and so I, I, always, I grew up in a house where we didn't have a lot of religion because my mom came from a family uh, that were they, were, they were all a bunch of hippies. Oh. So as you can see, um, con- conflicting views there on how children should be raised. But luckily, uh, my mom is really good at yelling at my dad. So, you know, she won. <laughs> that 
that sounds really bad. She didn't yell at him. I, I don't live in a, in a bad household. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was good. It was interesting. The first time I went to my, my parents, my grandparents' house, uh, and we were sitting down for dinner, and they were like, oh, let's all say grace. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was so confused. I was sitting there, and they were doing this, and I was like, <laughs> and I really wanted to fit in. And now I realize that um, I really don't want to be a Catholic. <laughs> because it's more of a cult, really. I'm sorry, Torin, but it, it, it's a cult. Um, you know, they, 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 do, they have all these rules and everything, and if you follow the rules... You know, you're good, you know, you, you're, you're fine. But if you don't follow the rules, well, you spend the rest of the eternity burning in hell. So, there's that. Here's a good joke for you guys. How do you know when a hippie is in your house? Ow. They're still there. <laughs> How do you know if... So <laughs> How do you know if someone's vegan? They'll tell you. I'm vegan, by the way. No, I'm kidding. I'm not a vegan, but I feel like if I ever was a vegan, it wouldn't be because, oh, to save the animals. It would just be to piss people off. No, get that away from me. I can't eat any of it. Leave me alone. You know? But I have a younger cousin who's, who's like 13, and, and she's a vegan. And it's, it's really weird because... She, she talks to me, and, and she's like, oh, it's, it's for ethical reasons. And, and I said, are, are, do, you, do you mean ethical? And she goes, yeah, that one. And, and when asked what ethical means, she, she had no idea, which I think is really funny, because it's like, well, how are you going to do this but, but not actually know why you're doing it? Hey, remember last time when someone said stand up and I stood up? Wasn't that funny? Wasn't that a good quirky little joke? No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. Well, yeah. So the main bulk of my, my presentation here was I was going to talk to you guys a little bit about art. And, and what is art? Do you guys, do you guys know? What, what, what do you think the definition of art is? Torrent? Something beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that, that's not what I was quite looking for, but, but e for, a, a for effort. Art has been described as anything that pushes the mind towards something that is maybe neglected. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to consider what I do up here, you know, a, a form of, of creative expression. But, but that really begs the question, do, does the mind really need to be pushed in in the way of, of, you know, talking about hippies and whether, you know, how many police officers does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> and so that kind of brings then into the light, you know, what do we, we consider art as? Because if I sit up here and I tell jokes, you know, is, is that art? If I write a book, a screenplay, or a poem, but nobody reads it or ever sees it, is that still art? If books like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, per se, which won many Pulitzer Prizes, you know, sold millions of copies, if it had never been published, if it just sat there in the mind of Harper Lee, 
would it still be one of the greatest pieces of art ever created? Yes. What is the plural noun for monkeys? Monku. A gang? No, it's not a gang. It's not a barrel either. If anyone was, uh, if anyone was wondering, would you, would, would anyone like to, would anyone like to try again? I'll sing a little stupid song about it. You know? Sing the song. No, it's a troop. God. It's a troop of monkeys. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> so again, my, my, my question, a rhetorical question, is, is that what is art? You know, I, I just asked you what the plural noun of monkeys was out of nowhere. Is that really art? And should I be vindicated by you guys, or validated, sorry, wrong word, validated by just myself thinking that is art? Or do then I need you guys, as an audience, to think it's art? If I, if I write something down, and I think it's art, and I think, oh, this is pretty good, but, but everyone doesn't know, is that, is that it? Because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm pretty forgettable. You'll sit here and you'll chuckle at a few of my jokes, and you'll think, oh, maybe he's pretty funny, and maybe I think I'm pretty funny, but that doesn't matter because, because I'll be forgotten. Because when it comes to art, and when it comes to what we think of with art, we think of, you know, these, these tortured souls, these people who are, you know, just terrible, you know, assholes. And so when it, when it comes to making art, or doing things, even within your life, outside of it, do you be this terrible person who can just make these beautiful pieces of, of literature or poetry or, you know, film and hope that in future generations the quality of your work outshines the fact that you were just a terrible individual? Or do you continue through life trying to do nothing but good deeds and, you know, not be remembered for anything? You know, I know I build this as a comedy, but... Uh, yeah! That's what, keeping me up at night. Keeping me up at night. That's, uh... That's that, I think. Yeah, that's, that's my little last bit. My food for thought is, uh, is what is art? And, uh, yeah. That's all for me, folks. Was it very good? What is Art was recorded live in class. And now a performance entitled And Her, or Her, or Her, by Bailey. I wake up and stand before my mirror, while my worst enemy, yet my biggest fan, stares back at me, dissecting my flaws one by one as if it's some sort of race to get it over with, just to be faced with the same haunting list every time I see my reflection. My stomach looks flatter today, Although my waist is wide, I look disgusting. My knock knees look awful in these pants. My legs look so gross, I wish my thighs didn't touch. My face looks so chubby. My nose is way too pointy and big for my face. If only it was just a little bit more turned up. My arms look so fat in this shirt. My shoulders are so broad, I look husky. The list goes on. 
but that'll be it until I get another glimpse of myself. Rinse and repeat. Will I ever love myself fully? Yeah, I have days where I'm confident, but it's a constant battle in my head going between loving and hating everything that makes me, me. Why can't I just look like her, or at least be happy with how I look? I have so much competition. How could I ever be good enough if I don't look like her? She isn't a typical pretty girl. Guys just don't see her like that. Hearing those words broke my heart. As I lay here in my bed at 5 a.m., too many years later, those words racing through my mind, my heart continues to shatter. So tell me, what's it going to be? Me? Or her? Or her? Or her? Now we have For Myself by Ethan. I can never wrap my head around the idea of doing something for myself. My whole life, I've always been doing things for others, trying to brighten their day, their month, their year, even their life. I've spent so much time on this planet trying to make things better for others, but never myself. I would spend hours a day thinking about how I could do things to please my friends and family. I would spend hundreds of dollars on others who wouldn't put in the time to open up these opportunities for themselves. Until about a couple years ago, I finally found out that if I wanted to reach my goal, I'd have to find a way to do something for myself, something to make myself proud. So what I decided to do, I went out and got myself a new job, started a list of goals for myself to achieve, and decided to get outside of my comfort zone and go try new things. In grade 10, I went on a trip to Thailand with a bunch of grade 11 and 12s I've never met before and ended up having a blast with them. I started saving up for my first car for myself. I started getting outside more to start enjoying the opportunity we all have around us. This next performance is by Kiera Johnston and is entitled, The Dirty Dishes. I'm a blue plate. Blue on a mound of dishes, begging to be picked. To be cleaned of last week's reminiscence, but I am bound alone. I am a blue plate. The same shade of blue as the sky in the morning, or the color of your old favorite swing. I am the blue plate that holds all your worries, and the same plate that is left abandoned until next use. Sitting in the sink, gathering dust and grime, only to be cleaned in the time between your next mouthful and the tears that fall just beneath your soured eyes. I am here to hold mercy. Turn disgust from saddened forks and scratches from angered knives, and to try to hold myself together just for you when I am dropped. Fittingly, the falling never stops. Falling like a flightless bird with aspirations too high. Falling never forwards nor backwards, but in a continuous downward line. Falling like a plate when thrown in tantrum. Not knowing how I will land, whether I shatter or crack. My story speaks blank to one not looking to understand. Most of the stories I write are about death, to what reasoning I have not yet asked, for it is not me who speaks on the page, but the death itself that chooses to share its story. The death that waits, gathering behind shut doors, listening in to the whispers, I hear it too. Eavesdropping and stealing glances, the death that brings new beginnings, the death that brings change, the death that means a short text from my mother telling me that my uncle had passed away in his sleep, the death of another blue plate. Maybe a molting, a shedding of skin, and the feeling of relief, shipping bare of last week's overlapped fingerprints that served as a painting to my temples, or a release, a letting go of the hurt I feel built in my chest, refusing to acknowledge the bitterness of chasing after happiness without treading water. 
water that turns into puddles that turns into creeks that turns into lakes that turns into rivers that turns into seas that turns into oceans and then suddenly I lose my ability to breathe lungs melt with mock fire and my body drifting snug into the deep blue arms of death I am drowning drowning in the memories that I no longer remember suffocating in a massive darkness I used to know to be color weighed down by the heaviness of my temples feeling the featherness of falling and the sound of my glass against hardwood floor crept the silent room Seven days turn into one, and one turns into hours, and hours turn into minutes, and minutes beg for seconds, just to be remembered, but I can't. Each day becomes the same, and then even the sun can no longer reincarnate into a new rate of basketball. I'm a blue plate. Blue is the chip siding on an abandoned home, and as I enter, the floorboards creak in my welcome. Windowsills still painted with caked on dust, just as I, in my sink of dirty dishes. In this wreck of a home, I stand sturdy in the rundown living room. I hear a cracking, the sound of impendence, and as the floor goes way beneath my feet, I am falling. Falling like the clit I am when dropped. Some plates crack on impact, others shatter. And some, if they're lucky, get glued back together. But most of the time, you just go get a new plate. That was Springtime Sadness, composed by Sonora Dunford and played by Sonora Dunford and Anna Lloyd. Our next performance is called Needing a Break by Adriana. The feeling you get when your cold hands come out to meet your hot face, when you know you're going to be wanting more, and when that little high fades away and you're left empty again. The feeling you long throughout the day Envying the kids who took a different path. Seeing your friends turn to strangers because they knew better than to indulge in what you find ever so sweet. The feeling you get looking into the mirror, seeing what a harmless thing has changed you into. When you realize peer pressure is nothing like what your parents convinced you when you were young and innocent. When someone asks if you're alright, when someone asks if you can overcome it, there's always a response of... I can quit whenever, because it's too sad or shameful to ask for help. When you start to lie to your parents, becoming more distant, doing anything for a break, you then realize a feeling of guilt and desperation sweeping over you like a wave. The feeling of realization, knowing you serve to a master who gives no shits, knowing you may have started it, but he will end it, running through my mind in an attempt to take anything he can. Now we have Movies by Gage. 
Ever since I was little, I've always wanted to be an actor in a movie. I remember getting home after school and watching the same movie over and over again in one day. Other people will listen to music or play video games to take their minds off things. But for me, my, mis my escape is movies. When I watch movies, it's like I'm stepping into a whole other world that I can get lost in and it shows me <laughs> how to be creative and be brave, just like the characters on the screen. And that's what's great about movies. You can bring something to life. You can do so much with it. It can be sad, it can be mysterious, or it can make you laugh. They always cheer me up after a rough day. It's funny how sometimes a movie can leave an impact on us. I have so many good memories from watching movies. And if I could give those same feelings to future generations, that would be amazing. I don't want to be an actor for the fame or fortune. I want to be an actor so I can share my passion with others and make stories for them to get lost in, like I did and still do while watching movies. This is Mask the Truth by Milo Jackson. Being able to trust one another is important. Being open with others takes trust. Being yourself around others takes trust. Sharing honest opinions takes trust. Sharing personal information takes trust. I've reached a point in my life where I can't even trust myself anymore. I've put up so many walls that my mind has become a maze of stone from which I can't escape. My own mind has become a prison. My thoughts are strangling me, but no one can see because I won't let them see how much I'm suffering inside. I wear a mask to hide my pain. I wear a mask to hide my anger. I wear a mask to hide my sadness. I wear a mask to hide my fear. I wear a mask to hide myself. I can no longer remember who I was without it. But the mask is getting old and worn. And whatever's underneath is slowly starting to spill through. I'm afraid to reveal what's been hidden. I'm afraid of what people will think about me. I'm afraid of disappointing others. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of failure. So I constantly push people away before they can get a glimpse of what's under the mask. I'm unable to show myself because I'm afraid to ask for help, because I struggle with putting my feelings into words and I struggle with admitting my problems. My trust issues are always weighing me down. But recently, I've tried taking off the mask and looking in the mirror. It was difficult at first, but I'm coming to accept what I see. I'm trying to be more open. I'm getting tired of hiding, tired of pretending that I'm something I'm not. I just want to be myself. That day is not today, but someday I'll be able to be the real me, and I hope others can accept me as I am. No more mask, no more hiding, just me. This is help by Amanda Wiggins. I, I can't breathe. I'm choking, choking on something I can't see. My voice has been taken from me. Rose thorns curl around my throat, piercing my skin, forcing me silent. I try to scream, help, help me, but I can't. 
My pleas barely make a dent in the screaming of others. Laughing, crying, wailing, smiling, nothing works. I can hear glass break and I realize I, I'm bleeding. It rushes from my mouth and pours down my chin, mixing with the tears already there. Pain reflects in my eyes as I laugh, loudly and defiantly. My cries for help have been ignored. Fuck. I'm all alone.
Thank you very much. That was Xavier American playing the first movement of Violin Sonata No. 1 in G minor by J.S. Bach. Thank you for listening to our spoken word podcast. We hope that at least one of these performances spoke to you. Thank you also to Sonora Dunford for composing our intro music and to Sen and Lauren for recording it. Keep calm and love theater.